Welcome to Highly Volatile, an unfiltered podcast for real-life professional traders, investors, and top executives. To be the best, you need your thoughts and perspectives challenged by the best. This podcast series features some of the most thought-provoking and disruptive minds in both business and investing. My name is Kevin Van Trump, and I'm joined each podcast by my good friend, legendary trader and angel investor, Andy Daniels. Together, we attempt to challenge the conventional and gain a better understanding of the disruptor. We search high and low for wealth hacks and exciting new investment opportunities. But at the same time, try to uncover hidden pitfalls or unforeseen changes coming our direction that might rock our worlds. We hope you're challenged by our unfiltered thoughts and conversations and enjoy our highly volatile podcast. And please remember, there's risk in trading futures and options. You should carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your circumstances and financial resources, foundations for you to buy or sell any commodity, any stock or any type of other investment. So make sure you use the podcast as an educational tool to broaden your horizons and maybe add a bit more perspective. Hey, this is Kevin Van Trump. Uh, we got Mike Mock on the uh, call. We got Andy here, our typical uh, good crew that we uh, go way back. So, gentlemen, appreciate being here. Mike's with CGB, does a little of his own consulting. Andy obviously owned and started Daniel's Trading and, uh, you know, avid trader. So, Mike, how things been? Really good. Uh, this is the best time of year uh, in this part of the world in terms of weather. Uh, the farmers are excited. Last year we had, I mean, we were the you know, epicenter of all the prevent plant. So I can't uh, emphasize how much uh, uh, difference we've gotten the attitude in this part of the world. The crops are out there. Um, some of the folks don't have the best looking crops, but uh, we got everything planted. The resurgence in prices is a big deal, Kevin. I was at a board meeting recently with a local uh, equipment company and they're seeing uh, the farmer after everything on hold for a couple of years here back engaged. So uh, certainly things are in a much more positive light. Uh, people are upbeat, even if their uh, personal crops aren't uh, ideal, because uh, we do have some drought issues up, uh, you know, spotted around the area. But in, in total, the attitude is 180 degrees better than what it was 12 months ago. And we heard this morning you got the Big Ten playing football again. Well, that's, you know, I don't know how you put a price on that. I mean, there were some people pretty upset. You know, this whole Ohio-Michigan thing is ongoing, and you can see it even through COVID, and there was a lot of talk that the two universities to the north were uh, against playing, and uh, that's created a lot of local talk. So uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, football's – I've been to uh, three high school games already. I, I just can't imagine that you'd have uh, the high schools playing, uh, Cincinnati playing, uh, you know, and you don't have Ohio State playing. So I'm tickled to death that they're going to get back to action here. You know, down here in high school ball, I was telling some other guys, they're, now they're only allowing one parent, you know, one ticket per kid. Mm -hmm. It was two, and then, you know, you could have both parents. Now it's down to one ticket a kid. I don't know. We've had pretty big, I guess, outbreaks the last few weeks or months, but I, I don't know. But, yeah, it seems nuts. Uh, yeah, that's what they're down to. That'd kind of, that wouldn't be a lot of fun if you were a senior or junior, you know. Nobody in the stands, so. What is it there, Andy? Anything? Just well, I mean, the uh, our the team out here, the high school team out here, was formerly the Redskins, okay. and uh, due to political persuasion, they've uh, changed their name to the Timberwolves. But um, and there's a lot of uh, animosity towards that uh, whole process, as you might imagine. Um, 
but yeah, no, they're uh, they're back at it, and you know, stands are full. They're not uh, as COVID freaky as, as a lot of places are. Um, it, we haven't had as much activity in that regard out here, but uh, you know, they're 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 going hard, and rodeos were going all season long, and uh, so we we didn't see as much of the COVID effect out here as you might have in other parts of the country. And that was kind of refreshing. I mean, you still wear masks when you go into certain stores, but uh, overall, you know, it's, it hasn't really been as disruptive as it has in many parts of the country, at least. Yeah, I, that's one thing I wanted to touch on. We've had some questions about FarmCon, and I'm just kind of waiting on Kansas City and the hotels. You know, they're telling us may have to push it back. I know Jordan said they weren't bringing concerts back until, I think he said May. So I don't think they're going to allow concerts back in Kansas City or some of that other stuff right now until May or something. So, and I know the uh, mayor, whatever, has some big thing in place until the end of the year and then to reevaluate. So we're just kind of playing it by ear right now on any of these bigger. I think same way with most of the bigger conferences. Mike, even not to speak any or Andy, I, I think they've very limited yeah, local but, stuff and small groups. Yeah, yeah everything's kind of been canceled. So, mm -hmm. so you're 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 waiting to call the ball on that, huh? And now, yeah, you, know, you do it virtually yeah. if you can't do it uh, in person? Well, I don't think I'm going to. No. I, I, that's why I thought we'd just do some calls like this with random people that, you know, are usually there and on, on the stage and just kind of keep the ball kind of at least in the air and rolling a little bit. And uh, I guess see what the hell happens when we get there. You know, I missed my first deadline uh, for kind of having this discussion with them. So they hit me with 30 grand and then <laughs> – they tried to daddy. They tried to hit me with a three hundred grand. They tried to say no. You go. You're either doing it or it's three hundred grand. And I finally got a lawyer from the letter from the city to be like, listen. They tried to say this wasn't an act of God. And I really? said, shit. I'm not. I don't have anything to do with this. The city. I mean, I'm not. Yeah, that's what the uh, main hotel uh, was trying to say. And then all of a sudden they backed off that. And so. Yeah, it was going to be a kind of a serious problem. I was like, damn, I'm not – I mean, it just – I guess it would just be me and a few friends sitting there partying away uh, 300 grand or something worth of alcohol and food. I don't know. So, I was like, this is nuts. So, anyway, they it was the new Lowe's. Uh, Lowe's had just opened a brand-new hotel. It was supposed to be the nicest hotel in Kansas City. And mm -hmm. we, had, we had signed a contract with them for that date. And I, I was just like – and, you know, if you get closer to your date, you lose more and more of your deposit. Sure. Well, I had moved past my supposed date that, you know, locks you in or doesn't lock you in. So mm. anyway, well, you're going to have to call the ball pretty quick if you're, I mean, you, well, I'm with you. I, I agree. I mean, I guess I'm going to wait till after the election, just see if half the town's still around or, you know, what, what happens if we burn down half the city. <laughs> I'm not really sure. I don't know how it's going to go. So what are you guys thinking? What are we hearing on election? Mike, you're in a hot seat, Ohio. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's going to be interesting over here. Obviously, I, th I think that, uh, and this, this is to be expected, things are tightening up. Uh, the economy is certainly improving. It's amazing to me that without any um, uh, additional fiscal stimulus, you know, obviously that's, a, you know, games being played between the two sides there, that um, the equity market continues to march on. The economy is kind of improving on its own. I don't think there's any question that folks, uh, you know, we've got friends uh, that work at restaurants and, and bars that uh, we try to support. 
but many of them, uh, you know, still struggling. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to, to see how uh, things evolve. But my sense is because the economy is improving, and if we get closer and closer to a vaccine uh, and, and people just feel better about 2021 versus 2020, this thing could really tighten up here. Um, and Mr. Biden, I think, has lost quite a bit of, of his advantage. Yeah. Andy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm somewhat biased in my opinion, um, but we have debates to go. We have uh, yeah. we have the Durham report to go. We have. Um, I just don't see. I think the Senate majority is out there. I think they're um, they're. I don't know. I, I, I think Trump's going to win, uh, unless, of course, there is uh, manipulation at the uh, ballot box or in the uh, post office. And I think there's going to be—I don't think there's a snowball's chance in hell we have a, a we have a decisive uh, a results by November fourth. And uh, I'm concerned that this thing gets pushed out. That you know the these fleet of lawyers uh, that are out there—they're going to contest every single election, every single vote. And it's going to make the Chad counting in uh, Florida uh, back in 2000 uh, child's play in comparison. So, you know, I, I think this is going to be a real shit storm, frankly. Um, and at the end of the day, it could come down to, you know, a Supreme Court uh, decision. We could have Nancy Pelosi as the interim president. Um, all sorts of really fun things could happen with this deal. And, you know, I, I think that it's, it's impossible to make, you know, economic investment decisions um, with the, the black swans uh, circling as, uh, as, as close to the ground as they are. Um, I, I certainly think there's, there's uh, the hype, the media, the BLM, the, um, uh, you know, all, all, the, the, all the noise and rhetoric that's out there and the, tandem perspective of the Dems and the uh, mainstream media is, um, you know, is, is really a concerning uh, event that is occurring here. And, uh, uh, but I still think that the uh, silent majority out there is, uh, wouldn't want to go down the, uh, the, the Green Deal and uh, the socialist road. I don't think this country's ready for it yet. And I think that at the end of the day, is as little as a lot of people are talking and as quiet as people want to be about their political beliefs. Um, I think they'll uh, do the right thing in the ballot box and I think Trump will be reelected. Yeah. You know, one thing that's inter interesting, Kevin, just driving around and I'm not talking about just out in the country, but driving through the city, the, the battle of the signage is all in favor of uh, the president. You just don't see, um, th there's no question that his base is much more engaged um, than than what the Biden base is. I think the folks that are, you know, stringently for um, the uh, vice president are are the anti-Trumpsters. Uh, they're not uh, pro-Biden, and I think that gets into that. You know, Andy's talking about what do the folks in the middle do? You know, and I, I think that's that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I remember about six months ago, Andy, when I said to you, I, I you know, well, it was more than that, maybe a year ago. I wasn't sure Trump would re would rewin the uh, the presidential uh, election. I, I was just 
I felt like that as we went around, and I was the one that said, you know, four years ago that I thought he was going to win because when we went around the Midwest, all through the country, you could feel the buzz. But then you started to feel a buzz that, uh, you know, people were maybe going to come out and vote against him just for some odd reason or whatever reason they had, not odd reason, but a lot of people had a lot of reasons. And I didn't feel like he had gained a lot of new voters from the left. You know, I, I had kept with that argument that, you had some of the boomers die that had voted for him, and you added in people that may not vote for uh, for the president. And I didn't know if he moved anyone that had – I certainly don't feel like he moved a lot of people that voted for Hillary over to vote for him. So I thought you may have had some people not come out and vote, and maybe by chance – this was before Biden was the nominee uh, – that the president would have a tough time. But then when Black Lives Matter started and you started burning down the cities – and, you know, you went with this whole defund the police thing. Shit, I, I think people are going to come out and vote against that. I mean, I think they're really going to come out and vote against that. No one wants to see that shit. Nobody wants to see the towns and cities burnt down and, and the, the things that are happening. Two police officers get shot in the head like, we, you know, we saw this week. I mean, just crazy shit. So, you know, I think it's sad. I think it's definitely sad what happened uh, – when people are innocently killed by the police, but at the same time, I, I think people do want safety and people want to believe that they're safe in the streets to some degree. So I think you've seen just a massive shift in sentiment and, you know, hell, everyone talked about the Chiefs game where they were booing that, you know, the one or two minutes of equality or whatever the, the heck happened at the beginning. There were a lot of my friends there that they said, yeah, it was straight booing. Uh, and, and, you know, I just think people are, are wanting I think they're wanting to be somewhat safe. They're uncertain about how that all plays out. And uh, I think they see, like Trump was saying, they're not really peaceful protesting uh, in a lot of these areas. It's, it's, it's become a little bit more than that. So. And, you know, I, I sit there and debate, you know, I think the wealth gap is probably of most importance uh, than anything. I, you know, how, you know, the, the rich are continuing to get even richer and we're creating this bigger and bigger divide. I know a lot of people talk, or, or Michelle talked to farmers on the phone all the time, getting their credit cards to, for renewals or this and that. And almost every one of them talked to her about some type of civil war, or civil unrest, or, you know, all this crazy is going to break out. And I'm not necessarily, I don't think it's necessarily going to be black against white. I, I just don't see that. I don't see it as a race thing. I see it as more haves against have nots. Would you agree with that, Andy? I sure would, and 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 that that's probably the most concerning thing. This whole, the the escalation of uh, of this wealth gap divide uh, that that COVID is really, and we haven't even seen the 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 episode, you know, the the, the epiphany of all that yet. It's going to be many years, but 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 it, that that graph is really going in diverging directions, and uh, I'm I'm very concerned about the wealth gap. I think that probably is ultimately the biggest issue we faced, and um, it, it, it's going to lead to to a lot of uh, dissension. And, and I agree, Kevin. Look, this I don't see the whole race issue. I think it's an excuse. I think it's uh, it, it's touted and talked about. But but frankly, you know, I mean, you, from the days of uh, Jim Crow to where we are today, um, you know, I, I just don't see it. And, and maybe it's just because I, I don't believe in my heart that to be an issue. And, and maybe. You know, I, I don't know what it's like to walk in someone else's skin, but um, I, I don't feel it. I don't sense it with people I know and talk to. And um, so I, I think that's kind of, you know, uh, 
an excuse or, or, or a symbolism of, of what you're saying, the wealth gap. And I think in the end of the day, that's probably one of the biggest challenges we're going to face. Um, and I, I don't have a good answer for it. Uh, I certainly don't think it's a, it's a Republican or a Democrat thing. I, I think it's, it's, uh, um, it's well, when, when you have over 50% of the country, uh, you know, the takers exceed the makers, you know, then, then you get to a point where, you know, the, 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 the Republic ends. And, and uh, I certainly hope that not to be the case, but, you know, we're, we're, we're at that inflection point. Um, and this, this is really expanding and, and accelerating that, that wealth gap. And uh, I'm concerned about it very much. How about you, Mike? Well, I, I think so. And, you know, I thought we all think about it when you get to be our age, but, you know, I've been extremely disappointed in, in our public school systems. And I've been monitoring things like uh, progress with uh, charter schools and, and what kind of success we have. We've got to get the, the broader populace better educated with better opportunities. And, um, and there are no easy answers there, but, uh, uh, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's, I suppose it's, it's easy to point fingers at teachers unions. And, and I certainly do from time to time, <coughs> people have to put those kinds of, um, you know, thought processes behind them and say, look, what are we going to do to get all of these kids, wherever they're located, whatever state, whatever city, a better education. And, um, and, and I, th I think that, that that would be an investment that I think would pay a big dividends. And there are people that you're starting to see, um, you know, um, you know the, the, the Bill Gates of the world, uh, those kinds of folks starting to spend money in that arena, because I think we, that's where we've really got to devote a lot of our attention moving forward. We've got we to gotta raise better, smarter, more equipped kids as this uh, world changes so quickly. Yeah, I was on a... Uh call the other day and you guys I, I thought about it a lot because the whole conversation was about uh, around the wealth gap and a, a path out of poverty and there, there really isn't a clear path out of poverty poverty except like Mike says through education but you know if you look back to all what I call economic revolutions let's say steel uh, you know Andy you and I like to look at history of businesses steel uh, oil uh, we could go to the automobile and you go into other things those those industrial type or economic revolutions brought along a ton of the labor force with us. I mean, our population was much smaller, but a lot bigger chunk of our population was pulled into that wealth through factories and labor. Well, shit, now, you, you know, two guys and uh, or three guys and a couple of badass servers can sit in their basement and, and create millions and millions in revenue and economic activity. So you, you know, everything's just moving faster and faster. So you're not pulling that big section forward in any type of labor capacity. And I told the people on the call, I said, it was like when we all played little league football shit, when we all played little league football, we could all kind of compete, you know, and then we lost half of those kids. When we got to junior high, you lost another half in high school and time you're in college and the pros, the game's moving so fast. You're only left with those that are the most well-equipped that can handle the speed. And, and I sit here and I'm like, you know, you really are only left now in today's world. Fewer and fewer people are that smart and that equipped to, to run some of these new businesses and this new technology and these new things. So I sit here and say, you know, I'm not even sure the road to education is the path because I, I don't know if they're going to compete with the, you know, the, the like Andy's son going to Wharton and, and you know, people that are getting their PhDs and things like that, it's still tough for them because so many other people now have college degrees. So 
you know, that, that road out of poverty is tricky as technology comes on faster and faster I, and doesn't bring labor with it. I, that's, that's my worrisome part. Cause I sit there and these people wanted to throw uh, numbers around from the 1970s and eighties on what the median income was uh, household income of our middle class. Well, yeah, but hell, all of our, all of our parents and, and most of the people where I grew up, they all did labor, manual labor, and, and they made a pretty fair wage. And, there were a lot of opportunities and a lot of jobs. Now that, you know, those, that's gone to the wayside. If people don't want to work super hard and they don't want to go to school for a really long time, well, shit, I, I don't know what the answer is. And, well, and the, the service economy is getting crushed with COVID, obviously. Yeah, and, I agree. It's, it's, and, and these are all the, 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 the uh, non-educational type jobs that, that uh, were eventually going to get replaced with automate, automation and in AI, but uh, that 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 the, the rocket shot is 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 transforming that in our as we talk, and uh, I'm concerned as well that you know what are we going to do with the, the uneducated uh, you know portion of, of society that isn't doesn't have the skill set to adapt to you know the the, the new uh, AI world. It's it's going to be a problem. It's scary, yeah. What do we think with interest rates? Anybody got any opinions? Stay low low for longer. Owl's told us, hasn't he? Yeah, they've been about as open about that as they can possibly be. Pretty transparent. Not even yeah. thinking about thinking about it. You know, so there's some implications with that, Kevin. That you and Andy would have better opinions than myself, but I don't see any change in that in the foreseeable future. And you still see? Well, I mean, you're big, Andy, on the national debt and and things of that nature. Aren't you somewhat concerned? Or well, I mean, I think we've already gone. Uh, I don't think we can come back from this till this. I, I, we, we, at some point we have to inflate our way out of it. Hence, I really am becoming more and more of a gold, uh, gold and precious metal bug, um, because, you know, it was one thing when we had twenty trillion dollars, but when you, you know, take a third of our, you know, you all have it again with, uh, with COVID, and you know this price tag's going to be closer to ten trillion when it's all said and done, and. Uh, I, I don't see that we can ever pay that back in any realistic way. And to, to think that our kids are going to pay this back someday, you know, there, there's no more anticipation that, you know, what we can just uh, through, through, uh, you know, tightening our belt, we're going to, uh, we're going to pay this back. It's never going to get paid back. And someday we're going to have to have a debt jubilee. Um, and, you know, that day isn't too far away. Japan, for instance, they, uh, you know, once you've monetized over half the debt, uh, as the, the Japanese government already owns over half their debt, you know, you can you you kind of control the uh, the destiny. And at some point, like in the early 1800s, when uh, when uh, England uh, had a debt jubilee and they uh, forgave everything and did a restart, somewhere along the line, on a global basis, we're going to all get together and it's going to happen. But uh, you know, how we get there and you know, paper inflation is probably the worst thing from the uh, Wilmar um, Republic on down to Zimbabwe. Uh, we're certainly not there yet, but I, I don't know how we get away from it. it. It's inevitable at the end of the day. No one's ever, we, we don't have the fortitude to, to try to pay this back. You know, the, it's interesting. If you think about it, I was, uh, I was on a call with, uh, I don't know, some Goldman guys and a couple of, but they were talking the amount of our serviceable debt it really hasn't changed anywhere from the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000. I, 
we, we had a lot lower national debt in the 1980s, but you were the serviceable portion, you're paying 16, 17% interest. And you forward that to the 90s or 2000s, I mean, you were paying eight, 9% interest. So the actual serviceable debt due each month or each, however they, uh, they figure that out, it really hasn't changed anything. They showed me, a, they threw a graph up and it, it's pretty interesting though, because everyone wants to talk about the debt, but when you start to think, I guess, about the serviceable portion, and what they're having to pay. I mean, it really probably zero interest rates help. I guess it may be not much uh, different than before. So I don't know. Definitely interesting. But yeah, I'm with you. They they said yesterday, what, 2023, possibly maybe before they even look to raise rates much or or, or even make it. Yeah, but, but how can you raise interest rates with the kind of uh, um, yeah. debt we have? I mean, yeah, no it's one thing to service zero interest. It's another <clears> thing to service, as you said, 16, 18% interest. You guys have any other favorite, uh, any favorite investments or stocks or trades you've been doing, or then we'll talk about the grains. Or it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, a lot of people have talked about when do we see a you know rotation, you know, into the cyclicals. You take you take a look at some of the, uh, you know, some of that's occurred now, but the banks are certainly lagging. Uh, energies are really struggling. I mean, Kevin, it wasn't all that long ago. Exxon was the biggest company on the planet. You know, yeah. now what are they? I don't know, 36, 37 bucks. What's its future in here? You know, uh, yeah. difficult to see. So it, it is interesting. And do we continue to, to trade in this narrow, you know, um, focus with, uh, uh, you know, just a handful of uh, tech related stocks that, that, that elevate the whole scenario? And <clears throat> at some point in time, you know, this, this attitude with the Fed. Uh, you know, to me, it's 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 almost without question. We're going to, we're going to, you know, it's it's where else can we go with our money? So we load up on the equity market. You create an asset bubble that at some point in time will burst. Um, that that has me nervous too. So uh, you know, I think you had to be involved in equities, but you got to be uh, perhaps a little more diversified than what some folks would would suggest today, and and be a little careful. Andy, Andy? well, I mean. Kevin, uh, we were kind of both like mules with our uh, uh, heels dug into the ground when we, you know, when we started bouncing back after the, uh, you know, in, in March and April and May after the uh, big downturn. Um, fortunately, I know you got to the sidelines and actually re-engaged. I, I at least had the common sense to get to the sidelines, but I haven't necessarily re-engaged. I've done some spot uh, trading here and there, buying uh, some, some, you know, marquee names, but um you know, I'm not going to fight City Hall. I, I, I do believe that, you know, the election outcome is going to have a big influence on uh, price direction. And um, uh, I think that, you know, if Biden were to win and they take the Senate and take the House, uh, I think we'd, we'd see quite a, a downturn in the market. And conversely, if Trump wins and, you know, splits the House and the Senate, um, you know, we can, you, you know, march another 10, 15 percent higher. But uh you know, I think those those are going to be pivotal points in the, the direction of uh, things. And I agree with Mike, you know, where we're, we got some bubbles, we got PE ratios we've never seen before. And, um, you know, they're all tied and tethered to uh, a few, you know, high performing tech stocks that, um, you know, at these PE ratios, it's, it's, it's hard to, uh, you know, <laughs> bite the bullet and uh, jump on board. But, with no bond market, with the real, where the hell else are you going to go with your money? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think yeah, like Zoom, uh, yeah, Zoom and Tesla 
bailed my bailed me out. That's uh, you. You've done great with those, man. Certain. I mean, but you know, otherwise, other than that, I'm, I'm you know maybe up twelve, fifteen percent in in my regular stock. One of my bigger holdings, like Mike saying, is Goldman. Uh, Goldman Sachs. I bought Goldman along. I bought Goldman when they came out and did the deal with Apple to be the Apple card and Apple finance. And I just went with that play. And, uh, and one of my other bigger positions has been PayPal. And that's, that's been good. And I, I'll give you a funny one. I bought a, uh, <laughs> I got Todd driving down to Oklahoma today, daddy, to pick up an Airstream. So I buy a 36 foot Airstream down in Oklahoma from some guy. I don't even know what the hell I'm going to do with it. Might rent it out. Might put it on one of the piece of land out here. I'm not even sure. So we buy that antique mall, you know, down in Harrison. Yeah, yeah. So I sent Todd down to Oklahoma today to pick up this Airstream. I'm not shitting you now. And I, I went, I'm Shogo, got a bunch of cash, the guy, you know, and I give it to Todd and I said, be careful. Don't, you know, don't get held up or anything at the damn gas station or anything. And I called this guy on the phone last night and I said, hey, I'm sending him down with a, a semi-truck driver with a, with a low boy to, to put this thing on and all this shit. And a bag full of cash and you can be, he's like, Oh, you know, Hey, don't, yeah, just, could, is there any way you could just like send me some over PayPal? And I had sent him a couple of thousand dollar deposit just through PayPal, you know, Venmo and stuff. And uh, I said, huh? And he's like, yeah, cash has just become kind of a pain in the ass. And he's kind of, he's not that old. And I said, excuse me. And he's like, yeah, cause then I got to go get a cashier. And I got to scan it because the bank I used don't have any physical locations. He's like, it'd just be a lot easier if you use PayPal or Venmo. So, you know, PayPal owns Venmo. And I'm like, I told Todd, I said, hey, bring the cash back home. I said, the guy wants me to just electronically pay him over the thing. And I told him, so I said, okay, I'm buying every break in this damn thing in PayPal or one of Because I think that's just where it's going to go. I mean, yeah. like Mike's saying, it's crazy that these kids – I've had some of Jordan's friends come out and help me at work, and uh, I, I was going to pay him cash. I, uh, you know, I see him him haunting around like not to know – they kind of don't know what to do with cash. I said, do you just need me to Venmo you or pay – oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be a lot better, a lot easier. It's nuts to me. I can't believe well, I mean, it. the government doesn't want us to have cash anymore. They'd rather uh, everything be electronic. Yeah. A lot easier to tax and, tra and trade. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, you know, those to me seem like they could be big, big trends or big plays. So I don't know. But it's interesting because if you talk to – and I talked to a few bigger just straight hedge fund guys that trade nothing but equities. And they're like, it's become so nuts from when we traded, say, in the 90s, 2000, early 80s. Um, you just got a shitload more money chasing a whole lot of fewer stocks. Yeah. And if you really yep. want to get down and look at it, that's yep. really what it is. Yep. Think of all the people now that can trade off this, just sitting around at a restaurant and all these Robin Hood kids and all these other, so now you got all kinds of people and globally too, you know, globally, a lot more people trading American stocks and, and a whole lot of fewer listed uh, stocks on the exchange. So shit. I mean, I don't see this trend changing any. I, I just watched Snowflake open on the board. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Fifth God. Fucking <laughs> 75. Buffett and, and what's his name from Salesforce buy it at 75 to 85. And this thing opens at 250. It's like, it's just silly. So I don't know. I, I'm with you guys. I don't know. I mean, I, I think you got to be in the ones that are moving, you know? Yeah. It's amazing how these IPOs and how quickly they can get to this global scope, you know? Yeah. 
Uh, they just, you know. That's what I'm saying with just a few yeah. people on staff even. I mean, yeah. hell, they're, they're trading at valuations like Ford and GM have never even seen. And they got yeah. 200 people working for them. It's, yeah. it's nuts. So, yeah. Well, you I, know, I, I got in this pre-IPO on, on Palantir, which is, yeah, you, you know, know, touted by, uh, by, by some on the, uh, on, in, on the Wall Street uh, to be going to be one of the uh, darlings of this year, maybe the decade. That's and uh, that's going to be coming out here in the next yeah, I'm told in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, no, yeah, that'll be nuts. You know, we were getting, think of it, we were getting things yesterday, both Michelle and I, from Uber and Airbnb to register to vote. I was getting emails. I through saw their, that from Uber their, yesterday. I go, what the hell? Through their app or through the company. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. I, I don't know. I mean, that seems a little nuts, but who knows? So, yeah, everything's just definitely it's definitely shifting and changing so so you can't fight city hall i mean the trend's yeah. there and as you guys both said where else are you going with your money you can't put it in your uh can't put it under your mattress anymore no no you see anything you with, under your mattress, maybe <laughs> you see anything with land prices mike or anything changing out there on your end or well, you know, it's uh, they've certainly steadied here. I mean, there were some pockets where stuff got a little bit cheap, but uh, I think people are uh, feeling better about things. I think some, and it's not just farmer interest, although that's the focus. We're seeing some uh, investment interest, and this goes back to the low rates. I mean, um, there's some folks that I know that have approached me to try to get me in touch with some farmers and and said, look, if I can get a, a three and a half, four and a half percent return and not have all my money in the equity market, something stable like that, set me up with the right guy. So there, there's some interest there. And I, I think this whole tone in ag is changing, you know, relative to that. People are more interested. Um, you know, deer's done very well. Mosaic's starting to rock a little bit. I mean, I, I, think, I think some money may move into this sector as part of some of this potential rotation. How, how deep, how big, how influential, I don't know. But it, feel, it just feels so much better than what it did. Heck, even July 1st, Kevin. I mean, it's a lot's changed. Andy, same with you out there. Real estate wise, everything hot. Oh, it sure is. Um, you know, I, we we were usually when you get to the fall after um, you know Labor Day, between then and the and the, ski, and the winter when the ski season starts, it used to be called the slack time. Well, Chip and I were driving around looking at some old silver mine that my uh, great grandfather won in a poker game back in the twenties, and uh, was offered a million dollars for it in 1933 and turned it down. Wow. 1933. And said, so, well, if they're willing to pay that, they'll willing to pay more. <clears throat> and that was, the mine never did open after that. It, it closed down. But uh, uh, anyway, we, we drove and we had to drive for, through three towns before we could find a hotel motel that, would, that had a room. Um, you know, the, 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 all the resort areas are packed. Land is flying off the shelves. Uh, you know, the, the local airport here has, has a problem with all the jet traffic because you know, everyone's looking to get a, you know, a place away from it all. And uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, real estate's absolutely on fire out here. Um, you really, I mean, they're, they're, lots are trading at levels that they've never traded at. Hell, I was talking to Dave Duncan. He said that new construction up in Big Sky is going for 1100 a square foot. Oh, $1,100 a square foot. These lumber prices are crazy. Oh, well, it's, yeah. And I think people just keep paying higher and higher because, like Mike says, the rates are so low. You have fifteen-year mortgages out there, like two point six five. You got thirty-year at like three. So you know, it's just able to afford more and more. And we keep seeing sale prices driven higher and higher around here. It's crazy to me. So, well, where else are you going to go? I mean, 
If you, got, if you ever get paper inflation, you better have physical assets. Yeah, that's true. You buying any land or anything like that? Or? Yeah, I uh, there's a, there's a, um, uh, a golf course over down the road that um, uh, back in 07, when they started to come on stream, they were selling these lots for 300 grand. And uh, for whatever reason, and it's kind of a cool little area. It's not 20, 10 miles away from me. Um, you can buy these lots now. It has sewer, uh, water, and uh, roads for uh, forty grand a, a lot. And uh, so I'm, I'm buying a package of those because I just don't see the downside. I mean, they were that, in 2011. You could buy it for forty, and today you can still buy it for forty. And you know, there's no other place to go. It's beautiful settings, and so. And I don't think I'll get hurt. Might not make anything, but what the hell. Famous last words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe, right? <coughs> so what do we think? Mike Corn, what are we saying here? Corn market. Well, I, I think there's a difference, but I've kind of flipped my tune here from where I would have been, you know, four or five, six weeks ago, which would have been, I was I was patient for a long, long time with beans, Kevin, and, and did some early selling in corn, you know, many, many, many months ago, and then wondering where we're going to be. But the composition in corn, as opposed to beans is completely different. There's room for them to buy. I think a lot of good people are starting to plug in 20 million metric tons uh, for China. There's some people talking more. Um, so, you know, I, I think we'll get chances to sell corn, you know, at these levels or higher for some period of time. So I think we can be, you know, and again, I've got the luxury of having some stuff on the books at higher prices from earlier. So I, I, I do want to be a little patient there. Uh, the only concern I have uh, because we've got big export numbers plugged in, not just for corn, but for beans. We've got a huge fall program in beans. Uh, the limiting factor, I think, is going to be fobbing capacity. You know, a lot of folks want to toss out corn export numbers north of 2.5, and I'm having trouble making that pencil, uh, given our limitations. I mean, you're going to use, what, ADM Open Galveston. You're going to use Milwaukee, uh, Toledo, uh, you know, in addition to the PNW and the Gulf. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, but... Uh, you know, to see corn, you know, with, with good support, 350, 360, and, and a run to something higher, how much higher we'll see when we get the final crop size, what South America do. But I am worried, and I'm kind of jumping the beans, um, the funds are really loaded here. And uh, anytime that they're approaching along a 200,000 contracts or along a slug full of oil and meal too. So I've got my guys stepping up in here, uh, either side of 10 bucks and, and doing some things, mostly option related, Kevin, but I think where we need to, we've been waiting and waiting and waiting and we're starting to hit this bean market pretty hard. It's just, it, you know, you're the one that's famous for taking chips off the table. That's what I'm doing here the last couple of days is taking the chips off the table in the bean market and being a little more patient in corn. Yeah. Andy, what are you doing? You long beans still or trading in corn? No, I, I, I sure bought them, right? Uh, south of uh, nine bucks. And, uh, you know, I I didn't uh, write, write it out as long as I should have. Um, I, I wish I had. I, I, I certainly see the, uh, the the rear view mirror is always crystal clear, unlike the windshield. But uh, yeah, I agree with Mike. You know, we, we the funds have uh, kind of gotten themselves loaded up. Obviously, uh, you know, the biggest buyer in the world is China, and um, they're buying out of necessity, not necessarily to uh, be honorable and meet their commitments, uh, but but out of uh, lack of uh, uh, available supplies elsewhere. Um, you know, I think you can maybe run a little more in corn and beans. Um, I wouldn't want to be short with stolen money right here, but um, from a spec pers perspective, anyway. Uh, but I, I don't, 
you know, we don't, if you have a weather story down in South America, I think, you know, things could get interesting. Uh, we used to need to have 200 million bushels to, to contemplate, uh, carry out in this country to uh, contemplate, you know, north of $10 values. But uh, here we are with 450 plus. Um, and, you know, that can go down for sure. Uh, it's all a matter of China. But I, I, I get a little concerned about the fund length right now. And um, I, I don't want to be chasing it. I think I'd rather be a seller on a 50 cent rally than a buyer uh, here. Um, in the case of corn, um, I think there's upside. You know, I think China could legitimately need to buy a hell of a lot of corn you know, with what's going on with their reserves and the drawdown and the prices being paid and, you know, their, their need to curb inflation and et cetera. And, you know, typhoons flattening a good portion of their crop, part of their crop this year. Um, and, and really, we don't have a big fund position in, in corn right now. Um, so I, I guess I'd rather be long corn, uh, be cautious about beans, and, uh, you know, think that we could maybe get a little bit of a uh, move up to the 370, 380 area. I don't see us getting back to four bucks anytime soon, but um, I'd rather be long than short in the corn, and I'd rather be neutral <laughs> looking to sell rallies and beans. Kevin, I think there's an interesting, like, you know, Andy and I are old friends, but there's a difference in perspective. And I, I would take Andy's point, if I was a speculator, not involved in, you know, I'm working with farmers every day. Uh, I think that I would approach the next year or two, given all the macro stuff we've talked about, if I want to be a speculator, I'm going to tend to want to play it from the long side, which is not where we've been, obviously, for the last few years. There's a, there's a change there, and it's China, and it's the weather issues and so forth. But, you know, I sit in a different chair and have to make sure that my guys are, you know, taking chips off the table, so to speak. And I think it's always important uh, to, to uh, discuss that difference in perspective. The, the spec probably wants to play commodities from the long side. He's expecting uh, weaker currencies. Andy's talking about gold and so forth. Those things are supportive to commodities. All I'm telling my farmers is, is hey, when you get a great opportunity, and we're a buck thirty, buck thirty-five higher than we were you know, uh, in a month, uh, it's, and we're making good money. And then some of the folks, particularly south of I-70, are looking at their best bean yields ever. Hard to not take some of that home. So we always had to talk about, you know, what's Kevin or Andy's perspective versus someone like myself or someone else's help, helping farmers. Um, the, 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 the farmer who, and I, I knew a guy, this goes back to, I hate to pass through the story, but this goes back to 1988. I was talking to a guy that uh, felt he knew when beans were going to hit their highs. And I think we traded 1022 in June and, and he sold beans at 1015. Uh, and had, had, he, he, uh, I tried to encourage him to sell some prior to that and he didn't want any part of it. So, you know, as when we got to 10, uh, 15, 20, he said, Mike, I told you we'd get here. Well, sure enough, all hell breaks loose. The market collapses. Uh, we talk, uh, uh, you know, a month or two later, you know, he, he sold 3,000 bushels within seven cents of the high. He never got the volume covered, you know, and then then it becomes, you know, uh, I got to hang on to him and it would turn into a complete disaster. So a lot of what I do, and Kevin, you get involved in this too, is the psychology of making sure that the producer even though the environment is friendly to him, that he, he takes those chips off the table. And I think that's where we're at with beans here. The fun, the fun length is just saying, hey, there's some risk here and, and we got to take care of it. Let's get some coverage in place. And there's, there's some wonderful ways to do it. I was looking at some structured products, uh, you know, the floor ceiling stuff. Uh, you can set, uh, you know, 990 floors with 1050 ceilings for minimal cost, you know, and see what the next month brings you. 
I love those kinds of transactions in here. How much new crop you getting sold, Mike? Well, the farmers hit it here. They're, they're, we got to a point. I don't think it took a lot to encourage them. The phones have uh, been ringing and so forth. So I'm not uncomfortable at all with 50%. Yeah. The other thing, Kevin, is what if we, and you know how this goes, some farmers want to keep beans longer. We, don't, we shouldn't be keeping physical beans at home. You know, the, the, the Chinese program is all loaded up here fourth quarter. Maybe it lags into January. We should physically move those beans. So some of the things we talked about with guys, and we can get into the spreads a little bit, um, the weather looks good. The farmers are starting to get a sense of how many beans they got. You write a basis contract, uh, but you roll it immediately to the mark. So if it's 10 over the Nove at your spot on the river, uh, now it becomes five uh, over the march. Um, and then, then you, uh, you protect it, uh, you know, with uh, some sort of structured product out there. Another, another angle, it's basically doing the same thing is hedge the beans flat price and go out and buy a call spread in the spring and say, I'll bet the South American weather that way. But as long as a guy's doing some minimum price like that, I don't have any problem with him going even 60 or 70%, especially if he's got the yield. You know, that, that's the, I, I, if I can lock in lots of money, I got to be disciplined enough to do that. My banker's going to want to see me behave that way, especially after the way uh, things have gone these last three or four years. So to me, that, that that's the action I'm taking is more in beans today. Mike, what about Red Nove? Are you doing anything out there? Are you yeah, it's a really good question, Andy. And, and again, given the background that you guys have laid here, that the commodity market's a little you know, bullish. And, you know, I, I'd really, we've done a little bit. I mean, 960, uh, 65 or so is, is a decent price. It's not a great price. It's a long way off. We got South America to deal with. Uh, but I've got a few guys, uh, particularly Andy, that are going to plant more wheat. And it's a wheat being double crop. That's not a bad price to get started on. But, but generally limited to something like 10%. You, you and I have got an old friend in the Delta, uh, Jerry, and we've talked about this quite a bit. And, um, you know, we want to see how South America rolls before we hit that too hard. But I do like the idea of staggering sales, getting some 2020 in place and nibbling at 2021. I don't want the farmer to lose his selling energy. I want, him to, I want to keep him engaged. And one way to do that is to talk to him about a little bit out there in the 2021, especially the guys in the Mid-South. Well, one, one thing I've heard you say, and, and Kevin, you're a big believer in this, if you don't have something on to trade against, yeah. then, 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 then you're kind of where do you begin? You got to get your toe in the water somewhere along the way. And yep. if you can do that, it, it's something in the it, north of positive in terms of your uh, uh, margins. You got to have something there to, 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 to at least have perspective with and to keep your attention. Yep. You know, that's a really good point, Andy. When we last visited, I think we discussed the fact that I'd had a few beans, just a few that were sold last, uh, this past winter at about 960 in the Nove 20. And, you know, it wasn't a lot, but it got something on. Then the market breaks. We're talking beans are sub nine bucks, wherever the shirt. Some guys sold puts against those hedges to dress them up. That was the whole point, having those on. And all of a sudden, you pick up 20, 30 cents to add on to your, your hedge. So I agree with you. Any of those kind of things help keep you engaged. The guy that just stops selling, just quits cold, he'll never get reengaged again. It's, it's just, you just can't get, let a farmer get into that position. Yeah, I'm going to... Uh... Yeah, do you like it? I'm probably the opposite of you. <laughs> long beans. I mean, I'm holding long bean positions. And my theory is, and I, someone made the comment the other day, I wrote in my wire, I said, hell, if you held a gun to my head, I think we'll see 1050 before 950. And I'm just going to keep adding to them. I'm adding to them on the rallies. I'm not, I'm not selling shit on the rallies. And I'm going to try and hit a home run. So 
Mm-hmm. I just am a believer, and I believe this way with producers too. I mean, we're we're about fifty percent sold. We got a floor right here under on on a little bit more, but I've got zero cap on the upside for the remaining fifty percent. I think you got. I think you don't have that many opportunities in your lifetime to hit home runs, and I think you cannot. You have to pile into them. Is all I'm saying. You, you got to the home runs are what makes or breaks everybody. Andy, you know that. Hell, I know that. So I don't care if you go to the boat and you're sitting there playing cards, blackjack. I mean, when you get hot, you got to press it and press it and press it. And and all I'm saying is, I think you have an opportunity between now and year end in the bean market. I'm not going to put a cap on the upside as price. I'm just going to say between now and year end. I'm going to keep adding to my soybean position. I'm from a spec perspective and, and I'm going to see where the hell we end up here uh, at some point during the next two, three months, because I think the balance sheet's going to continue to tighten. I think China's going to continue to buy. And I think you're going to have weather headlines in, in South America, just because you got one Nina. So the media is going to run the head. And, and I'll ask both of you, Andy just said, I wouldn't be short beans with stolen money. That's a key. So who's shorting it? I don't give a shit if the funds are record long. Records are meant to be broke. They love squeezing the shit out of it and going staying long. You know, they love squeezing it, I think. So it's like, and I could be dead wrong. I'm just saying from my perspective, you have some chances. In the last three years, we haven't had any chances to hit home runs. No. None. Zero. Nada. So it's like, here at least there's a window. I don't know if it happens or if it doesn't. I'm just going to be looser with it. I don't want to oversteer the position. I don't want to cap the upside. I don't want to trail a stop. I, I just, I got to give it room to, to work. And, um, you know, I think corn, if you got the balance sheet down sub 2.2, which I don't know if happens, Mike, I mean, I think it'll be hard to get the funds massively interested in corn unless you get sub 2.2. I just think most of the hedge fund guys I know and the big, big players that are going to want to hedge in commodities they're going to like the story in beans. And I think it'll keep them more. I think it'll keep pushing a little bit more of that. If they're going to make a play in commodities for inflation. So I think they push into the bean market because they think there's probably not a lot of sell pressure uh, between now and then. So that's why I said, unless we can get the corn balance sheet sub 2.2, I'm probably going to be a little, I don't have a spec position in corn right now. I blew out of it before the report and, uh, I thought like Mike, maybe to back and fill and maybe it'll kind of tinker around as we get into harvest here. And if the funds want to play around, I think they play around in beans because wheat seems a little elevated to me. Do you agree, Mike? I mean, from a global. Well, we, we're, you know, you take a look, we finalized the crop insurance values <laughs> here on Monday. We're 50, depending whether you're a soft red grower, hard red grower, north or south, it's 50 to 65 cents higher than a year ago. And we've got a really nice setup with the weather to get the beans That's off right. early the temptation is to plant more wheat. And I think that's, yeah, the Northern Hemisphere. So you take a look at, you know, the uh, July is 553, which is, you know, attractive, you know, and and again, I'll go back to the double crop grower. The best scenario he's got today is, is this July 21 wheat combined with no 21 beans. It's the best money he's seen in a while. That's why I'm I'm going to go back to your beans. You've got 50% covered with floors. Did I understand? I've got 50% about price right now. And it's anywhere from, I had priced 30% early, early before we planted, which we got off at the price. But then I was hitting the panic button. I'm like, holy shit, we're going to get nothing priced during the growing season. And then 
that storm went through Iowa and Nebraska and China started buying at the same time. I mean, that was a, certainly no, I'd rather be lucky than good. Any, that was luck. I mean, right. I thought we were in deep shit. I'm like, well, believe me, I understand the same thing. Cause I, that was my, where I was sweating bullets, you know, yeah, maybe 20, I, 25, 30% covered. Now we're at 50 and looking to protect the more. We're not as far apart as, as you might think. I mean, Oh no, you, I think you, we're at exactly five. Well, I, what I'm getting at is you, you sound awfully speculative. I mean, that's what you sound like to a grower. And I want to remind the listeners, you and I both have half our crop covered. Don't, oh, don't no, we're the that. same on that. I'm just saying, I, I just think, and I'm not re-owning. I've had people call me about re-owning. I'm not doing that. I, I've made those mistakes. You know, everybody's like, yeah, I'm going to re-own all my previous sales. Shit. Every time I do that, I end up in worse shape than I was before. I'm like... I just dig a stupid hole. I, so I don't reown these, these initial, my early sales, I never reown. So anymore, okay. I've, yeah. I've learned from that little number. So no, this is just truly my remaining 50%. I'm just saying, I'm going to try not to screw it up and do something stupid and over analyze and put a bunch of, because you and I both know nothing pisses us off more than, the farmer who doesn't do anything and doesn't even turn on the quote screen and then kicks our ass on marketing <laughs> for the year. But sometimes I'm like, maybe that sometimes that isn't a bad move. You know, just, I like the setup for the next three months. I don't want to get tripped up and listening to some stuff that would freak me out or make me, you know, just pull the chair. I'm just going to, let's just see what happens here for a little bit is what I'm trying to say. And, and if guys could maybe take that approach, it might help them. I don't know. You know, if you, as long as you got a floor and you got some protection in and you, you're willing to, you, I, I just wanted to clarify for the listener that on half your crop, you're protected and the other half you're going to, Hey, I want to see how things go. And that yeah. goes back to my comments about 21 too. I don't want to go out and hit 21 with a sledgehammer until we see where South America plays out here. You know, if, if yeah. they raise 135 million tons, that's one thing. If they drop to 120, you know, we may get some better opportunities. Like today we're up 15, 16, 17 cents in beans. And it's like, you could go out there and buy some cheap puts on the rally, not on the break, on the rally, and give yep. yourself a little more floor. I'm just saying I'm not capping the upside yet. And eventually we run another 50 cents, 75, maybe sell some calls up into the rally. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I, that's all I'm saying. I just think don't just. I, I like that a lot. You can buy some 880 no puts <laughs> real, che real cheap here on this strength. And then, yeah. you know, just sit tight and, and uh, leave the upside open on the back end. We're, we're uh, more aligned, I think, than maybe we sounded earlier. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Andy, you're out of rice. You step to the side for a minute? Yeah, yeah, I step to the side. I, I just, uh, I think we're going to see, you know, we added 150,000 acres that uh, kind of out of nowhere. But I think we're in a demand market. I think eventually, um, but you got the funds long, pretty close to their upper end of their limits. And um, you, you have harvest right in our face and you got to carry out that looks on paper to be uh, pretty negative. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that they're grossly underestimating exports, but that's something we'll realize over time because demand markets, you know, the government's always late to that party. And, uh, but I think by the time we get down the road, uh, there'll be a great opportunity to reown it. I just like to see it get back to, at or near the lows of that 1120 to 1140 area and uh, re-own it. Um, 
but uh, sit on the sidelines here for a minute, just by virtue of the composition of the market and uh, and the fact that um, harvest is upon us. Yeah. Andy, if, if a farmer's taking a three to five year outlook and he's in the mid south, should should he be looking at adding a few more wheat acres as we move forward, or excuse me, rice acres as we move forward here? Probably. I, I, there, there's a lot of uh, hybrid technology going on out there that, that could make some just extraordinary gains and yields. Um, but, but as a rule of thumb, yes, I think that the, uh, the demand base is, is fairly static. I mean, it's all North American orient or, you know, it's all this hemisphere, maybe a little bit over to Iraq um, when they, when we give them free money that they'll buy from us. But other than that, you know, that the Asian markets kind of take care of the rest of the world and, between us and Mercosur, there we take care of this this hemisphere, this side of the world. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's such a small market to begin with, Mike. Uh, you know, it, it's it, there's not, you know, we're, we're it's it's the pus and the pimple of a Texan's ass, so to speak, in terms of uh, you know the amount of volume. I mean, hell, we open interest at ten thousand is, you know, at fifteen thousand, that's big open interest. Um, and if you get a, a five hundred contract a day volumes, that's a big day. So it, it's a real small niche market, yeah. but uh, you know the, the margins are good at these levels, and, and what you can anticipate and, and book forward. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's, you know, there, there certainly is a um, good value in looking at uh, more rice acres. Okay, but don't want that to get too popular. I got one. Wanna... <clears throat> I'll end with one. Uh, we'll wrap up. Um, both Andy and Mike have taught me a lot. Uh, through my own trading experiences. And he kind of explained to Mike too, when you just talk there on the rice about a demand driven market versus a supply side or weather driven market. And I've been talking a little bit in the report and I think maybe some people don't understand. I said, maybe corn could transition to a demand driven market possibly. And I like those because they tend to be, in my opinion, they tend to be longer, give you more opportunities to get in as yeah. they kind of stair step a bit. And, uh, they and like Mike's saying, maybe we're moving to that again with commodities uh, as a whole as we come out of this corona thing and we've seen trillions and trillions put in a stimulus and we get this demand driven type of bull. Boy, that would be a real windfall to uh, partake in for, for some of the folks. So do we think corn could and the only reason I say I think corn could transition if China's gonna step in here and be a strong buyer and continue to be ethanol maybe rebounds a little bit uh and maybe feeding residuals so you know maybe you start to get a little more demand story uh we have not had that in the last uh, few years and and that's really my play in beans i think it's demand driven right here i think we transition from weather market to a demand driven bull it may be just three months worth it's going to be i don't know South America puts a big crop on, maybe that's all gone. But I think we could be a demand-driven bull market here, stair-step our way higher. And that would explain to them, Andy, like you and Mike have taught me through the years, like the difference, Kevin. Well, I, I think you did a very good job of articulating that. Uh, oh, I, Mike, we, we've had conversations and I, we're dating, I'm dating us now, but yes, we going back 25 years where, you know, every year we were, we were projecting these huge China imports of, of corn. And, and, and it, we, it was the inversion of that because, you know, they just grew more and more corn. And, you know, until now, they've, they've been a glutton of, uh, of supply with uh, no way to get rid of it. And so they, they've, that's done a 180. And to me, that is a real uh, catalyst for, for a demand-driven market um, and the potential for one. Uh, you know, we, we, 
we don't have a monopoly on, 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 on production on a global basis anymore. Certainly we have a lot of competition and, you know, we, we've added so many acres globally that everyone's been afraid to talk about a demand driven market because, you know, we can fill that divot real quick and we don't have another, you know, ethanol uh, event to come down the road to, uh, to, to, to drive demand even higher. So we've gotten complacent about, you know, it's a supply side market and, you know, big crops and low prices is the only thing we have to look forward to. Um, but, you know, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a little bit of light coming through the clouds right now. And I, I, I don't disagree with you, Kevin. We could see that. And I think, you know, not to the same degree that ethanol was in 2007. But, you know, overall, I think we could uh, see China be somewhat of a catalyst here for demand or market. How do you well, see it, Mike? I'd agree, Andy, that it, it's all about China. I mean, there are good people that talking about, you know, two, three, four years down the road, maybe they, their import needs are 50 million tons, you know. Um, uh, so, so we have to be sensitive of that. My, my, my concern, China's still a political football. And I think uh, whichever presidential candidate you support, they both got some concerns with China. I don't want to lose sight that that's a risk that if the, if the uh, uh, you know, the relationship between the, the two countries gets worse and worse and worse. We have to watch things, you know, the, the China's funny this way. I, I think with the FIDO cert issue, you know, they can buy Ukraine corn, they can buy U.S. corn. I think it's just a matter of time, not, not if or when uh, they, they uh, are cleared for Brazilian uh, imports too. But that's, that's a massive country. The appetite for commodities currently is insatiable. The, the uh, RMB has rallied uh, to the highest levels we've seen in some time, which makes uh, you know, the purchases uh, that much more attractive. And, uh, and Kevin, I think that does set you up. And I, I think there is a potential, like we've seen in beans, you know, if you'd have talked to a farmer August 1st, what are the odds that beans trade 10 bucks? Well, I think the three of us would have said, well, they were a lot better than the odds of corn trading four bucks. And it's kind of evolved that way. But I'm starting to turn my, my uh, you, know, uh, you know, face towards the corn market and say, you know, there could be some potential here, Kevin. And I think there's some good people starting to pencil in a $2 billion or a 2-1 crop, uh, carryout. And, and that gets a little more interesting. Uh, you know, you, you start to develop, if we plant a lot of wheat acres, okay, what's that mean for corn and beans in the spring? We talked about rice with some interest, cotton guys, I mean... Do we get into some sort of interesting acreage battle this winter, particularly if South America has any kind of glitch? We're so reliant on Brazil and the Ukraine. You know, those are folks that if they have a weather issue, it, 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 it certainly has an impact on the products that we're raising here. So I do think that uh, we're on the verge, as long as things are okay with uh, Beijing and D.C., uh, for what could be a real healthy demand-led kind of scenario here over the next few months. I think Andy made a interesting point when he said he wasn't going to chase the bean rally. And, and I, I agree with that in, in this sense. I mean, supply side weather driven rallies, you almost have to chase and be a Houdini to exit because shit, boom, and it, it drops and it's gone. Yep. Andy's always taught me and, and a couple other, you know, a demand driven rally will stair step and it'll give you multiple opportunities to get in. Do you agree, Andy? I mean, you'll, you'll get chances. Oh yeah. 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 yeah, there's no question about it. Uh, Demand-driven markets uh, are not a linear uh, move, and no, yeah, I agree. That's yeah, a good point. Can... Yeah, so now, I, hey, that's all I got for everyone. I mean, I sure appreciate everyone being on. Mike, you got anything closing comments? Well, I'm glad that uh, the Big Ten's back playing football, and hopefully, the Big Twelve will do better next week than they did last week. But oh. uh, 
you know, it was a tough one for Iowa State. I'm a big fan of Iowa State because they've got uh, Matt Campbell as coach, and he's kind of a local boy. But um, I, I think the tone from when we last talked, I don't remember the date, Kevin, and, and you and Andy, it was pretty tough to be upbeat for production agriculture at that time. And a lot of a lot of things have changed. I think the three of us are much more optimistic. How we go about managing that will differ between the three of us because we all think a little bit differently. We think alike at times. I, I just am in a lot better uh, frame of mind here relative to the opportunities to make money here. Uh, I just want to make sure that uh, guys don't stick their head in the hole and they take advantage of some opportunities when they present themselves. Andy? Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with that, Mike. Uh, it's certainly the, the, the environment, the, it just feels uh, a lot more upbeat and optimistic. I, I you know, a couple month or two, two months ago, uh, boy, it was a hard conversation to be having and, uh, you know, continually to be, uh, you know, the, the, the polar bear, but, um, you know, things do have a much, much more optimistic feel to them now. Um, I, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, the election and Kevin last, uh, 2000, November, 2016, uh, I invited myself to your house, uh, for, for that night. And I'm uh, going to do it again if I'm so invited. So, uh, <laughs> I look forward to, uh, being in your basement, uh, and watching some of my uh, favorite stars on TV, meltdown so anyway uh, not right so no i appreciate it guys yeah hopefully we'll get past all this get 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 together sometime and uh have a couple drinks and i'm looking forward to that i'm looking all forward right. to it. no right. more of these zoom cocktail meetings right well, guys that's enough of that <laughs> thanks kevin all right thanks guys. Yeah, kevin thanks all right, thanks, thanks again uh -huh. right, mike great talking you bet andrew